All right, welcome to Jetstream Live. Uh, I'm super excited to be here. We're with Bob Mesta, and he's the founder and president and CEO of the Rewired Group. He's also the author of the book Demand Side Sales, which is really, really interesting. And we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about that. Uh, but before we do that, All Bob, right. if you don't mind just giving us a quick rundown, uh, a little bit yeah. about yourself, and uh, let's start talking uh, about the book and, and how yeah. businesses can utilize that. So why don't we yeah. start with uh, a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Uh, um, so I'm. Uh, my mom would tell you that I was an engineer out of the womb. Um, I was breaking <laughs> things by the time I was two, uh, fixing things by the time I was four. But I've been building product for almost 40 years. I've worked on over 3,500 different products and services, wow. ranging from uh, the space shuttle uh, main engine uh, um, guidance system for the Patriot missile to Pokemon Mac and Cheese and Basecamp and uh, MailChimp and QuickBooks. And so just worked on many, many different things. And to be honest, I last thing I ever thought I would do is write a book about sales. But uh, having done seven startups, I realized that sales was the hardest thing I could ever do. And at the same time, they never taught it in business school. So kind of felt strange that they, they, they didn't bring that stuff up. And so that's kind of where the book kind of origin came from. Yeah, really, really interesting. It is interesting that we don't teach sales in, in school, right? I don't know why that is. And, and I remember when I went to school, they said the same thing, but no one seems to be doing it. Uh, well, but it's so, so important. It's, it's what well, I was like, in, it, like, I think it was on my third or fourth startup. And I was sitting in uh, one of my mentor's offices because his name was Clay Christensen and Clay. I kind of asked Clay, like, why are there no sales professors? And he said, well, when he, he when he went to school, he said that they you know they had sales professors, but they actually went away in the eighties because sales was seen more as a trade, and that that it wasn't really a um, a you know kind of higher order thinking skill base. And you start to realize that really good salespeople actually are the integrators of all of it. They know everything from pricing to how to read people, the product. They know a lot of different things. And so to me, most people have put it labeled it under either psychology or about own product. But the reality is, is that the fundamentals of sales need to be taught to almost everybody because we all sell all the time. Yeah, you absolutely. And I, and I feel like, you know, someone who's been doing digital marketing for about 18 years and, and you know, that's been my career. I really haven't had formal sales training. Uh, right. And yet, you know, you find yourself in these sales positions and you're kind of making it up as you go. You try to read some books, you try to, you know, learn what you can. Um, but it's difficult. And, 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 you know, I think that I really could have benefited from some real sales training throughout yeah. my, uh, my college well, the, uh, time. The, the interesting part is that because I'm a product guy, you know, and I always try to start with uh, what's the, the problem or the progress we're trying to help people make. It's kind of like, um, I realized that sales is really when you start to look at it as a process and how it's set up and how it's mm -hmm. run, it's actually run more by marketers and by finance than it is by sales. Right. 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 And so you start to realize and, 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 and when you do that, you start to, you start to think about like, well, how do we help actually help people buy, which is very different than selling. <laughs> right. So when you, right. when you play those two things together, it's kind of like, oh, if I can help people make progress, and to be honest, I'm selling, I, I don't even know I'm selling them because I'm trying to just help them make the progress they're trying to make. And so that's kind yeah. of the, that, the fundamental premise of the book, which is how do we actually understand what people are trying to get done? They don't really buy products. They hire them to make progress in their life. And if we can understand what that is, we can then figure out a better way in which to kind of sell to them or help our product help them make progress. 
And so that's that's really the, the foundation behind the book uh, of demand side sales. Yeah. And so maybe, you know, on on that point, maybe we can transition and talk a little bit about the book. Can you can you talk yeah. about what demand side sales means? Obviously, you're leading into that yeah. a little bit, but can you talk about the book? And uh, yeah, so so I, I think that one of the fundamental premises to me is that um, everything is cost. And 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 if we can actually understand that nobody's randomly buying your product, right, or actually randomly firing your product, it's all it's all in front of us and the causation is there. And so part of this is to actually start with by understanding what causes people to say today's the day they need a new CRM or they need a new, they need new gutters. Like at some point it's not random. And if we start to understand that causation and we understand kind of how they go through the process or the journey of actually buying something, that's how we actually should be setting up our sales process. And so demand side sales is really about starting from, how do we understand the progress people are trying to make and then figure out kind of what do we need to feed them to help them learn, to help them make the trade-offs, to help them frame what they're trying to get done. And then ultimately how our product fits into their lives. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. And, and one of the big things that I've taken from the book is people don't necessarily buy for the reason you think they do or the reason that yeah. us marketers have identified, like we've identified yeah. this market and they buy because of this. And then you, when you really dig into it and you talk to the customers, you're like, oh, no, they bought because of this other thing that was very directly affecting them. Exactly. And how we tap into that. Exactly. Um, well, and, and, and I think part of it is, is that we've been missing part of the equation that most of, you know, marketers are really good at defining who. But when you really look at why people buy, it's not just who, it's when, where and why that is actually sometimes more important than who. Um, and so you start to realize that we've been that marketers are driven mostly by correlation and not causation. And, and at some point in time, once we understand causation, it actually makes it easier for us to target when and where to actually get people's attention. And so right, it's, right. It's, a, it's a very powerful notion. But at the same time, it's kind of like just because I'm 57 and I live in this zip code and I drive this car, it doesn't cause me to buy the New York Times. Right. It correlates with it. But if you actually understand what I'm trying to do, then you can understand why I pull it into my life. And so it's yeah, those kinds that's... of things that you want to understand. Yeah, that 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 thinking behind like the true cause yeah. of, of it, Our right? Because it, it, yeah. Yeah. And it, it could be something that's like very immediate and urgent. So they could have seen your ads all over the place and, and you're trying to convince them. And then suddenly it's like, oh, my computer just it broke or it just wouldn't right. do this thing. And so I had to go and get one and, and I needed it by Monday, right? That's so right. I can get into the office and, and get it. Well, there's so also I, trade-offs. There's also trade-offs. Given the context that you're in, there's certain things you would do or not do. And I, I always say, like, do, you know, ask people, do you like steak or do you like pizza? And most people would say, <laughs> well, I like both. And it's like, yeah, but if I take the, the last pizza situation, which is I got four kids, we're all playing sports, they're running around crazy, we got to get home, we got to eat fast and get back to homework, all that stuff. You realize like steak in that situation is really bad. <laughs> and if I find a let talk about steak situations, pizza actually doesn't fit either. And so you start to realize that context creates as much value as the product. And so understanding where and when your product fits is actually really, really critical to helping, helping the one for you to create value, but two is for you to actually understand how people will value you. Yeah. So I think, like I said, it's really interesting for marketers to think about this because they think in the broader context of, like you said, you know, someone is male, 57, lives in the zip yep. code. Yep. Uh, and then the salespeople are a little bit closer to it and maybe they're having a conversation and they're getting some feedback from them. 
but but how do how do you see marketers or salespeople shifting when they understand yeah. this or how do they you know take advantage of this yeah so so when we break down demand side sales there's there's a we call it the there's a buying timeline people have and there the, it starts with uh, the way clay would say it he says questions create spaces in the brain for solutions to fall into and that mm. to me is kind of one of the foundational principles of this which is what question does somebody ask themselves to finally say today's the day they need a new CRM, right? <laughs> or they need something new. And so part of this is that's marketers. Marketers job is to create space in the brain and to actually educate uh, basically the, the, the people trying to make progress around the problem space and then the solution space. A lot of times we don't, we forget that, that, we think we compete with like a, a, I work on mattresses and we think we compete with Serta and Simmons and sleep number and all these things, but the greatest competitor to a new mattress and getting into somebody's life is a bottle of Zequil, not another mattress. Right, right. <laughs> right. And so you start to realize like there's industry competitors, but then there's consumer competitors, which is the things that they do to try to make that progress. And nine times out of 10 that they actually have a very different set of things going on that they're comparing it to that you most of the time don't even know that you're competing against. Right. Yeah. And, and that makes me think a little bit about like um, just, just competing against not purchasing at all. Right. Like I've been yep. looking at these, these shoes for quite some time and I'm pretty convinced yes. that I'm going to buy them, but, but just my sort of like, I guess it's like apathy towards it. I just like, well, so the thing is, this them. is where we talk about the forces. There's forces of progress that are uh, um, being, acted upon you. There's a push of the situation, right? There's either something that, that your current shoes can't do or something that's wrong with the certain, certain set, or you have something coming up and you feel the gap. The second part is there's a pull of the situation, which is, oh, these would be really good for this situation or these, this what outfit I'm wearing, whatever it is. But then there's these two other forces called anxiety and habit that literally are like the, the things that hold you back from making that progress. And so we talk about this notion of what we call non-consumption, which is how many people want to make progress but can't because of either access or, or uh, uh, you know, the, the money or the knowledge or, or, or even, you know, there's, there's different ways that are holding people back. And so, so for example, I helped uh, Paula Blank at SNHU realize like how many people want to go back to school but can't because mm -hmm. at some point they can't afford to take the time off work or they, they, yeah. they can't, they don't want to move to back to campus. And so in 2010, I, uh, we helped him kind of start his online school at Southern New Hampshire university. And now it has over 120,000 students. It's one of the largest universities in the world, wow. but it all started with this premise of how many people want to go back to school, but can't. And, and, and the reality is that most people feel like demand is created by the product right? Mm -hmm. But the reality is demand exists irrelevant of the product. And that part of this is that the struggling moment is the seed of what causes people to finally say they need something new. And that real opportunities lie in serving these struggling moments and being able to help people make progress. And so that's where like, again, how many people want to go back to school? In the beginning, it, it looked like there was maybe a, you know 10,000. But when you started to draw the net wider, like they have people all over the world taking these classes now. And so all of a sudden you realize there's way more people who want to do something that can't. And that's how the market grew. Man, that, that's really interesting. Like just thinking about that, like where, where does that demand come from? Right. right? So, I, I so when so I innovate, 
Yeah. So when I innovate, I do. Uh, so I have a, my uh, uh, hack is what I call truffle hunting. How do we go look into people's lives and find out where they struggle, where they don't even know they're struggling, but the fact is, is they want to do something better. And so a lot of yeah. times that it's like, think, think of a bank, right? How many people think like, they, they don't really like their bank, but they don't, they know if they switch banks, it doesn't do any better. And then all of a sudden the fact is, is they have a struggling moment where they, uh, the, the bank screws something up. And now all of a sudden when they find a new bank, they actually see all these new features in the bank. Their old bank had it, but they never actually looked. Mm. And so part of this yes. is being able to understand that, that again, that context is the thing that is really, really important to helping people identify and value certain things. Yeah, that's really, I mean, speaking of the bank example, I mean, I did that recently where I was just so frustrated with the bank and then, you know, I, I switched over and then of course there was just as many problems with the new bank as there right. is with the old bank. Right. But, but I did, I did sort of put a halo effect on it. Like, well, I'm switching. So psychologically I had to kind of convince myself that this was better, but, but in the, in, so I did ignore some of the red flags that came up with the new bank as we signed on. Right. So, that's right. That's right. You know, it, and, it's and, interesting to see that process. And this is, this is the thing where you don't shape the progress, right? So there's a, mm -hmm. there's a book I'm working on now where I, I'm, I'm, talking about flipping the lens that saying that like companies don't hire employees, employees hire companies and they hire companies mm -hmm. to help them make progress in their life. And the interesting part is when you study it this way and you start to understand what causes people to say, today's the day I'm going to leave this company and go to that company. The interesting part is everybody will talk about money, but when you unpack it, it's never about money. It's about respect. It's about providing for the family. It's about being able to get some time and space, you know, and not be so, uh, so uh, consumed by my work. Like you start to realize that people are trying to do different things. And where I was when I was 30 is different where I'm 40 and different when I'm 50. And so, and because I can actually move easier these days, that's why we have the great resignation. And so it's the same right. thing of people buying basically where they want to work now, as opposed to, you know, trying to, there, there used to be more people than work. And now there's actually more work than there are people. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, this is really interesting because one of the things as, as a marketer that I really struggle with is trying to put myself in the customer's shoe, right? And so we do a yeah. ton of the, the, the research to try to understand them. We're looking at reviews and we're talking to customers and, uh, but but it, when it comes down to it and we like want to sell more, we put out a message that says, hey, here's this thing that we have. And we push yeah. the message to them. But when you flip it your way and think about like something like we hire employees are hiring companies, uh, right. just that sort of thinking that changes the perspective completely. And so the message that's going to resonate with that person is different than when I want to push out a message that's as right. a marketer to try so, to sell something. So a, a really good example of this is I was working with a, a hospital system that's out in the, in the uh, Pacific Northwest and they were having problems recruiting people. And so what we did is we went and interviewed like five or six new people who came and how they came to work at this hospital. And one of the things we found out was these people were all burnt out and they were typically mm. in LA or Dallas or Atlanta or and they're, 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 they're in a very high, you know, uh, a tense situation. Um, but it's to the point where they're, you know, they're, they're, they're working so much, they're losing their family, they're doing all these different things. And it's one of those things where they realize like, okay, we got to move because this is just not a healthy environment. So what we did is instead of trying to just recruit people to the, to the place, we basically went into, into those cities and said like, you know, 
uh, burnt out, ready for a change, want to, you know, want to, want to, want to work part-time and literally, you know, go hunt and fish and, and be part, you know, have time with your family, come see us tripled the number of applicants. Right. right. Yeah. But, it, but, but it's about that knowing, thinking and it about changes the message. why they were coming. Right. It's not yeah. about, it's not about knowing who, cause it was like, well, we need these doctors. I'm like, yeah, but even though there's all these doctors, not all the doctors are ready to move unless they're struggling. And once the moment they're struggling and they, they can't unsee it. And so that's where right. you advertise by, by asking the question of like, you know, are you really happy? Is this what you thought yeah. it was going to be? And let that mull and, and, you know, fester inside them to then say like, we've got, a, we've got some other ideas for you if you want to look. Right. 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 Um, so within the, in the book, you actually, you obviously talk about the jobs to be done framework. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the, the most uh, well-known examples of that is, is the drill, right? Like you don't buy the yeah. drill. You don't look into buy the drill. You're looking to buy a hole, right? Which really, right. again, changes that perspective. Can you just talk a little bit about the jobs to be done framework? I'm not sure yeah. where that comes from. Um, yeah. So, uh, so it's, so jobs to be done is something that, that um, basically I've been uh, working on for almost, almost 30 years, primarily because I'm, I'm dyslexic. I have uh, three head, mm. three close head brain injuries and I can't read and I can't write. And what would happen is, is as a product person, people would send me like the report, but I couldn't read the report. And then I'd realize like the, that they'd send them a survey and I'm like, well, how do you even know what to ask them? It's like, well, you know, we've got some hypotheses and I'm like, yeah, but, but we don't know. And they're like, yeah, but we know. I'm like, but we don't know. And so I would actually figure out how to go talk to people and what I learned is that uh, most people lie to themselves, let alone lie to right. us about what they really do. And so I went and learned criminal and intelligence interrogation to figure out kind of what are the real reasons why somebody buys a new CRM as opposed to like what they say or like, oh, I bought a new car because I got a deal on it. And, you know, it's uh, it gets great gas mileage. But when you really interview them, that actually had nothing to do with why they bought the car. <laughs> right. And so that's where this came from is, is in terms of being able to understand what people mean and, and being able to talk about kind of what's the context they're in, what's the outcomes they seek to then build basically a specification of the solution we're trying to build without actually making it technology dependent. So it's like, what, what are the things they want to happen to them? And ultimately, then I can come up with 20 different technologies to do that. And so that's the foundation for jobs, the jobs to be done framework is to actually understand the progress they're trying to make so then we can actually design the solution around it and now we're using it to help us with selling them the solution as well right which comes back to you know what i started out uh talking about or asking about was you know that that people don't necessarily buy for the reason that you think they do right because from our perspective as marketers and salespeople internally we see yep. things coming in and it matches up and it, and it kind of shows us evidence that backs up what we were thinking. But when you yep. really dig deeper, it, it is this jobs to, de- to be done framework. Like the example of the car, you may be thinking like, oh, they want this car for, you know, because it's a BMW and it, you know, gives right. them some prestige and status. But in actual fact, the reason they bought a BMW is because they want it to last for 25 years exactly. and, and they, 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 it's actually very cost effective and they're going to save money over those 25 years. It's not right. about the status at all, right? right. I mean, or, or it's less about the status, but... and it's more about about some of the things like like. So I I, I have a friend who bought a G wagon, and I'm like, like he's not a G wagon type person, and I said, what's going on with that? He goes like, this is the last car I ever want to buy. I'm like, right. what? 
And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes like, I know three people who have had these. They have over, you know, a million miles on it. It does this. And I really don't want to buy a car ever again in my life. And, that, and so I'm buying this car, <laughs> though it is outrageously expensive now. The reality is like, I can afford, I, I don't have to do anything with it and I don't have to worry about it. I'm like, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great example of exactly that, that point. Um, which, which makes me curious about like in the world of, of e-commerce, can you, can you talk a little bit about that? You know, people buy a certain product products that we maybe think are impractical or, or, you know, people are purchasing for a certain oh. reason. Um, yeah. So there, I mean, it's, I think there's, there, there, it's all, it's, I think it's in a lot of cases, for example, um, again, I think buying is in some cases is very, especially in the e-commerce space, buying is similar to like eating, right? At some point when people are depressed, they, they, they'll actually right. go and look to buy things and almost fantasize about what they can go do when they have this thing. So it's like shoes. Oh, I, we can go out dancing. We can go out, you know, to the, you know, have fun. And so it's, it's a notion of trying to live vicariously through it. At the mm -hmm. same time, the fact is, is once they understand the true struggling moments and they have 25 pairs of shoes and they don't go out, then they then they don't know what to do. <laughs> right. And so and so part of this is being able to really understand where value is created and how it's how you help people make progress, because there's a lot of things people can buy and not use. And I'm to be honest, I'm one of those people who are very much against trying to be like what I call the one hit wonder or something where, where people will buy it because they're interested, but it actually doesn't help them make progress. And so trying to actually figure out those products that, that are things that will help society be better and help us all be better um, is really kind of to me what it's a, a lot of this is about is helping people make better decisions. And so I, I wrote a book around choosing college. I'm writing one about employment, like big decisions in our lives. We don't, right. don't actually frame them well enough to know how to make good decisions around it. And so that's kind of what, what this book and other books are kind of about is helping people get better at making these decisions. Yeah. It makes me think about sort of the, the, the short-term nature of, of feeling good versus the long-term nature of something, right? Like, you know, buying yep. a pair of shoes today, I'm going to feel good in the moment, but maybe going to college and taking a course or doing something, maybe a trip or something is going to give me sort of a longer benefit but it's not as yeah. it's not as much of a high so, right that's right well and this is where this is where you've got conflicts because everybody will say well we want to reduce friction reduce friction reduce friction but it, sometimes friction actually causes people to value it more hmm. and so if you think of like a kia furniture the friction yeah. of you building the furniture makes it your furniture and what you realize is that as you grow older IKEA furniture is usually the last furniture you get rid of because you put so much sweat into building it. But the, yeah, the, I, I, the, the sofa you bought, the sofa you bought at the at the at the local you know furniture store right. that literally just showed up and is there is like yeah you're happy to get rid of that. But like those those damn Billy book bookshelves that you get from IKEA that like you built, <laughs> I'm like I they're they're special to me and they're special because you built them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is certain uh, there's a certain um sense of that i i think that makes me think about like furniture that i made in like woodworking class in like yeah, yeah. Know, grade nine i'm like i mean it's sitting at my parents house and I, I hope they never get rid of it right and and hopefully i'll inherit that one day but you know i made that with my hands i physically yeah. made that and i didn't make a lot of things uh and that yeah. one actually turned out pretty good so i i want to keep that and so i think there's it's interesting to think about that especially as a digital marketer because sometimes we'll put friction in place 
in order to get people more invested in the process. Like we exactly. might ask an extra question or add an extra button or get this, them to submit something so, because then they're invested and then they'll continue on and actually purchase. Yeah. So this is, this is where, for example, like, uh, and this was a while ago, but I built houses here in Detroit. And, and one of the things that my marketing agency kept going, like, we want to generate more and more leads for you. And we got to the point where we had like a thousand leads a month. And I'm like, and I was only closing 20 houses a, a, a month. And I'm like, I don't have time for this. Like I need, right. I need actually more friction because I want, like at some point, I don't want to hire more people to go through these because the, the leads aren't turning out to be right. And so we actually create a long form of having people answer questions. And we went from a thousand leads to literally like, like between 150 and 200 leads, but I was closing 80% of them. Right. And so part of it is to realize like, how do you actually understand when people are ready for you as opposed to you are there to make people ready? <laughs> right. Right. And so it's, yeah, it's realizing yeah. it's, it's their progress, not yours, right? They're going to make the progress. And if you take away the progress, right, you, you actually rob them of the opportunity and satisfaction of making the progress. That is really interesting to think about it, their progress, mm -hmm. not yours. Because in marketing, okay. we think about the funnel and moving and we're moving them through the funnel. But that's, that's right. Again, that's a that's a flip to be like, that's right. We're not moving them through. They're moving them through. That's right. And by the way, through. things happen to them and they go they can go backwards. They can go from active looking to deciding back to passive looking because right. the pandemic happened. Like it's not that they're not out. It's just that like the context around them has changed. And so it's more of a timeline and where are they in the, what mode are they in as they're moving, trying to move forward and they can go forward and backwards, but in a funnel, there's only one way, which is out, <laughs> down and out. And, right. and so this is where if you start to, so like we've, we've like, I've been coaching uh, sales teams where we're just literally saying like, what, what are the things pushing them? What are the things that are pulling them? What are the anxieties that they have? Where are they in the timeline? Like yeah. the funniest part is salespeople would have in the beginning, they had the hardest time going like, I, I can't ask people where they are in their sales in, in the sales funnel. I'm like, no, you can't ask them where they are in the sales funnel. The sales funnel is yours. You have to ask them where are they in their buying process? Right. Like, Oh, yeah, we're just looking. We're 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 actually formal looking at possibilities. We're we're actually down to deciding. Like, where are they? Helps us then understand what we need to do to help them move along and make progress. Yeah, that's so interesting. Coming back to my shoe example, right? Part of the like the shoes that I'm that I that I'm looking at, they're they're Vessies, and Vessies are waterproof, yep. right? And so you know they're great. I mean, in the in the winter, I walk my kids to school, my shoe my socks don't get wet, but the weather's been improving. Right? right. And so I've gone, I've gone back in the funnel. I was very close. I was even at like the checkout right. and they started messaging me, but now I've gone back and I'm like, well, I don't really need them. I mean, I'm probably going to wear and not, yeah. and the, the, the notion is season, when you start right? to think about hiking and whether you're going to go fly fishing or whether you're going to do like, you start to realize like, and your feet get wet and cold. That's when you're going to do it. Like it's the notion of like, so what I would say is it's like the spot is dormant waiting, but it's waiting now, not, not, to, for a deal it's waiting for the context to make it now more valuable <laughs> yeah well and and so one other thing to add there too is it's like they've sent me a couple promos and stuff and you know my, my birthday's coming up on on july 1st and so i'm yeah. like well I'll, I'll buy them for myself for my birthday and that yeah. is actually more motivating is to like reward myself and give it to myself than it is for them to time it right to give me the promo at the checkout exactly because again well, that's and, coming back to my journey 
What's so interesting is, uh, is I, I realized that them discounting is just a way in which to kind of lower the, the, the threshold. And, and the reality is, is that I actually get offended when people go like, oh, would you like 15% off this time if you order now? I'm like, no, I don't want 15% off because it's not worth it to me. And when it's worth it to me, I want to pay the extra 15% because it feels better for me to actually get this done this way. And so they, like they're, they're, they're negotiating against themselves. I know it sounds strange, but when you really start to realize, like, I don't want to pay, I, I don't want to get a deal on something that's really important. Like, I don't want to deal on an Apple computer. <laughs> right. Right. Because it usually means there's something wrong with it. Or the fact is, is like, it's the last <laughs> mod, like there's a whole bunch of other reasons behind it. And it's like, mm, no, I, like I want the, I want the best and they, they, it'll, it'll stay and, and it's worth it to me to pay the full price. That's interesting because discounting is is quite common obviously in e, in the e-commerce world you know you enter your email address get 10% off your first transaction come back and purchase get 15% off refer a friend get 15% off yeah. but it does if you really think about it it does make you think like okay well why can they give me all these discounts how much have they marked this up what's one, the real value can, yeah, can you talk about discounts is, a little bit more too yeah yeah think about think about like referrals by itself like like how often do you refer something to somebody? It's pretty rare, but if I do it, I mean it. Right. That one, one is it means a lot. The two is, but, but it's, it's a two way street. You don't want to recommend something that somebody doesn't need. And at some point right. you don't want to recommend something that, that at some point in time that, that, um, that it's just not a fit. And so part of it is you have to wait to understand like, like who would I recommend? Like, Ooh, refer us to somebody and we'll get it like, but who would I refer to? And what would I you know, say about it? And like, I have to make so many things up in my head to make a referral. It actually is really hard to do. And if people just said, ask the question, something else, who else is struggling like you that we could help? Right. All of a sudden they're like, oh, I know five people that like that. And so the referral is so generic that it causes me to lock up. But if you ask about who else is struggling with this that you know, they can literally make a referral in, in, in 10 seconds to say, oh, like there's three other people I know who need help. Right. Again, that's, a, that's another, this is another flip. And, and it's just, you know, making me realize these things as, as marketers, again, like to say, refer to your friends or use the term referral is right. because I, as a marketer, as a person selling a product, want you to refer someone versus going back to the, the problem that someone may have, or even right. a job to but, be done, I guess, is like, I have a friend that I want to help and I, and help right. me get that job done. That's right. So I, I remember I remember doing some interviews at a at a very large uh, uh, I'll say Fortune 100 company and we got done and we basically interviewed one of their their customers who recently switched from one of their competitors to them and when I got done with the interview the 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 chief uh, revenue officer basically said well you know is there anything else we can help you with and and I sat there and I, I did this I said one two three four. And he said, I said, nope, there's nothing. He's, and the, the guy looked at me like, how can you answer that? I'm like, if it takes longer than five seconds for you to tell me what else you got, you're literally making it up. He goes, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to figure out what I could make up. I'm like, so let me ask you a different question. I said, so tell me the three biggest things you struggle with that have nothing to do with us, but like if you could solve them, they would help you. And all of a sudden he came back like right off the top of his tongue, this thing, this thing, this thing. And it turns out that we could help him with it, but he didn't even know we could do it. And so mm. by asking him what we else we can help with, he had to know what we did. He had to know what his problems were. He had to match it all up. But if you just ask him what he's struggling with, you then can go like, oh, you have security issues. Oh, we can help with security. 
right? right? And they didn't even know that. And so part of this is is just by understanding how to rephrase the question and at the and and realize the mental gymnastics that one question like like you know, would you like to refer? Like that's a that's actually a really heavy question. Like yeah. what would I refer? When would I refer it? Who really needs it? Do I really want to do it? What's the risk for me? Like you start to realize like no, but who who else can we help or who else has a similar problem like you? It's like, oh, I can come back with that. Like, yeah, these three people might be interested. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting to like flip that question and, and, you know, waiting five seconds to, to figure that out, you know, is really good because yep. people, if you ask them for feedback, they'll give you feedback. And I remember an example, I went to a conference and I think it was fresh books and they asked all their customers, you know, what features do you want? What features do you want? And everyone's like, we want this budgeting tool, you know, budgeting, be yeah. sure great if you had budgeting. So everyone said that. So they went out and built this tool. And then when they released it, no one used it. And exactly. it was because they didn't have the time to do it. They were so busy right. with the other stuff they were doing. And so it was like a That's nice right. to have, but you asked, so they told. And so what they said That's is to, instead of listen to the feedback, you need to watch more of what they actually do. Exactly. Right. To figure out like it's, where to go. But it's what they do and what people, they don't. Tell you something. That's right. It's not only what they do, but it's what they don't do or what they they want to do, but they can't. And right. so this is where you watch and you see them hesitate. Like they'll they'll do one thing. They'll look at another and like, wait, and you got to go like, what just happened? It's like, oh, I wanted to do this, but I realized I had to go to another program and cut and paste this. Out. I'm like, wait, what? And you start to realize there's all these workarounds they have and they just accept them, which is where actually all the opportunity lies. And, and yeah. the interesting part is, is I did, I did a lot of work with Basecamp and it's one of those things where they, people would talk about the fact of like, oh, we want resource allocation. Oh, if you could do some Gantt charting, you could do, and you start to realize like all these people want these things, but in the end, like you said, they didn't use it. And at the same time, the reason why they were at Basecamp was because it was simpler than all the Microsoft project and all the other right. more sophisticated tools. And the reality is if I added those features, then I actually made myself worse for the reasons why people really were there. And so it's that yeah. whole aspect of understanding kind of when to say no and, and when people are kind of, you know, they're saying, they're just saying things to say things versus saying things to do things. And so I always say there's a difference between most people talk about what the product is, but what you need to really talk about is what the product does for people. Yeah. Right? Really, really, really interesting. Um, Bob, we're, we're, I think we're heading into a recession or we're in a recession now. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, you know, disposable income is, is shrinking a little bit. Uh, how do you feel like, you know, businesses should operate in, in that time? And, and, you know, how does the uh, demand side sales and jobs to be yeah. done framework apply to so, that? So th th this is where, like, I love when context changes, like the pandemic. The interesting part is if you ask people about, about the pandemic, in the middle of it, everybody was all upset. But like, if you ask people like, how is the pandemic? And everybody kind of winces and then they look and they go like, you know, it was actually pretty good. I got to spend time with the family. We got to save some money. Like you start to realize like all of a sudden these good things happen from it. Right. And so part of this is that even though we don't like change, the fact is, is as we head into a recession, it's actually a, a it's a very important part of how we grow is by understanding what we need to cut out and what we need to focus on and what we need to do less of and what we need to do more of. And you start to realize like, as, as you, as the recession comes, what we have to be able to do is understand how is the, the context going to change and that people who might have bought it for one reason now is going to buy it for a different reason. And so can we actually understand the, the, the new struggling moments that the recession causes and then how do they make decisions based on that? 
Yeah. Yeah. Again, right? I guess it's, so it's, it's that context shifting, right? That's, that's right. And, and that, that the one thing that I, I've, I'm almost 60 and I would say the one thing that I've learned the most is that when anything bad happens, there's typically always, you know, a silver lining or something good mm -hmm. that's in around it. And so to me, every time that ha every time I see something bad, it's like, all right, I'm, I'm, I go in looking for the, for the, for the good in, in the bad. Yeah. And then when something's really good, that's happening and it's growing really fast, I kind of go like, okay, what's bad going to happen? Because there's, <laughs> there's always going to be some contextual shift around that as well. And so it's this notion of understanding duality and being able to actually figure out kind of like as the context shifts, what's going to happen. And this is how, you know, people would say like, how, how, how do you, how did I get so good at predicting? And what I would say is I really can't predict like two years from now or 10 years from now, but I'm very good at, at context shifting and being able mm -hmm. to see as things change, what will happen next. So I can play out one, two, three rounds of struggling moments in that, most people have roadmaps that look like feature sets where what we, what we have is usually roadmaps that look at struggles that we're going to go tackle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Very it makes different. me actually, makes me think about like, like sports, right? Like I played a lot of soccer and the guys mm -hmm. that could think two, three plays ahead and know, Hey, right. I'm going to make this pass. Then I'm going to run over here That's and right. receive the ball. We're that much yep. better than the guy that was, was thinking about, you know, one situation. And that's context shifting because you're going to shift that's from right. like defensive to offensive or having the ball, exactly. not having the ball. So exactly. that, that's Clay, really interesting. Yeah. Clay wrote a really good article about this. Uh, he basically said, skate to where the money will be. And it's all right. this notion of being able to understand where where are the, the, the complex interfaces and that most businesses, the money shifts to where like when something becomes standardized yes. typically typically that you 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 eliminate the value that you created by that interface by standardizing it which allows you to get scale but then the next critical interface is where the money actually goes to solve yeah and so so like if so so like if you looked at uh, the pc makers back in the 90s it was like the moment that they actually made the ram modular and, and mm -hmm. had to slot it in and out the, the DRAM business basically fell to the bottom and made no margin, but the people who right. made the equipment actually made all the money. Cause the hard part was making DRAM. <laughs> yeah. One that I've, you know, a friend of mine talks a lot about, you know, if, if there's a gold rush, sell the, the picks and axes, you know, don't go yes. digging for gold. Right. Because That's there's going right. to be a lot of people that don't succeed, but there's gonna be a lot of picks and axes that are sold. Well, and, and, and I think that's the point is to actually take, you know, uh, people don't want a quarter inch drill. They want a quarter inch hole. Right. And if you actually do that, you know, five times and you take the step back, now you can see like how I would create 3M strips. So I don't even have to drill a hole. <laughs> right. Right, right. Right. And so these are the things where, where again, but we, we tend to focus on what I call the supply side, which is the product we have and the services we offer as opposed yeah. to the progress that they want to make. And so we, the way we talk about it is we do uh, what we call right to left thinking, where we think about the outcomes and the customer first, and then figure out what ideas we have to come up with to help them solve it, as opposed to most people who think, I'll say, uh, left to right, where I have an idea, and now they're just trying to find people who want my idea. And to be honest, yeah. I've been, I, haven't been able to, I haven't been able to make anything really work well thinking left to right. Only right to left is what I've been successful at. 
Yeah, and that's you know, as we've been talking today, that you've been you've been shifting my thinking a lot, and and that's exactly you know what what that feels like is left to right versus right to left, right? Because we yep. come up with a product or we have a product as an agency and say, okay, how do we find the customers, and then how do we yep. start pushing the messages at them, which is the wrong way to look at it. I mean, you're still going to do something like yeah. that, but you need to look at it in the inverse. To, to I, I don't, in order to be I don't successful. know if it's wrong or it's right, but I, I the way I always right. think about it is, is it's way easier to pull something than to push something. And yes. if I can create pull yes. at the consumer level, then I don't really have to push anything, but I have to actually help them figure out when, where, and why they want my product, not just who needs it. Like we're yeah. defining yeah. markets by the number of people who we can serve. But the reality is we're not actually discounting it for the people who are struggling because if they're fully satisfied, they're not even looking. So they don't really count as part of being the market. Yeah, right. You know? Very interesting, Bob. This is this has been a, a great great chat. You've been uh, you know giving me a couple different moments here of of sort of flipping my thinking on its head, and uh, really appreciate it. And and the book is great, uh, and definitely recommend it to anyone uh, you know marketing or selling uh, demand side yep. sales. Uh, Bob, where can people uh, find you, connect with you, or check out yeah, your the, website? Buy the your best, book. The, be the best place to to find me is on LinkedIn, and then uh, we we have a we're at the the Rewired Group. Uh, dot com, which is basically we're a small firm here in Detroit where we help people build and launch products and uh, and help with sales, help with basically uh, both for profit, not for profit, and startup. So to be honest, we we we're, we're I get to have fun every day. So this is this is uh, this is this is wonderful that you were able to have me on and and I'm able to share. Yeah, awesome. Well, well, thanks again, and I think it'd be great to have you on again soon and 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 yep. chat with you more because this is really. I have, a, really I have another book coming out. I have a book coming out awesome. in August. Uh, it's called uh, "Learning to Build," and it's the five skills of an innovator. And it's it's uh, these are my four mentors who basically who have uh, basically trained me and poured their knowledge into me to enable me to kind of be this what I would call a super innovator. And I'm merely the vessel. And I took I had uh, I have like if you will hundreds of notebooks over 900 notebooks if you will here like that of of these different notebooks and what i did is i went back to them and looked at them and then looked at the people i worked with and kind of said what are these five skills that people have have to have to be really good entrepreneurs and innovators and that's that, that'll be out in august yeah very cool so yeah definitely uh appreciate your time today bob and and uh, hopefully you. the listeners and viewers uh, check you out on LinkedIn, uh, check cool. out your your website and, and your upcoming book. And of course, again, I'll just say it again, check out Demand Side Sales. It's a really, yep. really great book. And uh, thank you. It's been really helpful for me. So Thanks thank you so much. Me. Yep. All right. Be well. See ya. Bye for now. Yeah.